Amen. Good morning. Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, keep in prayer uh, Lake and Raleigh's family, you know, that terrible murder at the University of Georgia. Uh, just tragic, but, you know, it doesn't take too far to look to find another one and then another one and then another one because that's the world we live in. But when it hits close to home like that, just for no reason at all, a life is snatched. So just keep that family in your prayer. We're in chapter 11, the book of Hebrews, and the writer here is encouraging these Christians You know, as believers, we should be confident, absolutely confident in God's word. Because once again, he has never gone back on any of his promises. Faith is believing something is true simply because God has said it. God has asked us to do something from his word or you can sometimes say his rhema word, which he speaks inside of us, and we act on those things. And God is telling these new believers, Hebrew believers, don't act like, my wife always says something to our grandkids when they come and they visit, and since they stay away for a little while, they think they can get away with more things. And so when Lydia gets upset, she always says, don't act like you're brand new. And what that means, you know us and you know the routines and you know how we do it at the summer hour household. And that's really what the writer of Hebrews is telling these Hebrew believers. Don't act like you're brand new. God, check his track record out. He's faithful. What he said it will come to pass. And what the writer of Hebrews has begun to do, he, he, he brings 17 witnesses to show how faithful God has always been. You know, we live in a fallen world. That's why bad things happen. And God made a perfect world. We know the account, Adam sinned. And that allows sin and Satan to take over this world. He's the God of this world, Ephesians tells us. But in spite of all of that, Jesus has come and he has redeemed sinful man from this plague of sin on the planet. And what the writer of Hebrews is telling these brand new Hebrew believers, don't go back to the law, don't go back to the sacrifices Because they're not better. You have the ultimate sacrifice, Jesus Christ. He's died because the grave could not hold him. There was no sin in him. The reason man dies is because man is sinful. That's why Jesus rose on the third day. The grave could not hold him. And he sits at the right hand of the Father making intercessions for you guys. And that's what the writer is trying to get them to know. And so he parades 17 witnesses in front of this Hebrew assembly to remind them. He talked about Abel. His brother killed him because Abel obeyed God. And then he parades Enoch, who lived a life that pleased God for 300 years. And God loved him so much, he just, I've got to have him. He takes him home. And he's once again, he's telling these Hebrew believers who are about to start caving in and going back to Judaism because it's hard. It's been hard for two or three years. And then he brings Enoch for a third witness. Enoch walked with the Lord for over for 300 years, showing faith and endurance. These believers, once again, they're being criticized, mocked, and they're, they're being tempted to leave Jesus because they believe in a crucified Messiah. Well, he was, but we know he resurrected on the third day and he sits at the right hand of the Father making intercessions for us daily. He then speaks of Lot. 
And once again, the New Testament is so gracious. For the New Testament to say righteous Lot, when you've read the account of of Lot, tells you a lot about Jesus Christ. And so he begins to shine the spotlight in this hall of fame of faith on Abraham. Verse 8 says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise, as in a foreign country. Have you ever been abroad to uh, Europe somewhere? I've never been, and in these days, I wouldn't want to go. But I bet when you were there, you were kind of skeptical of your surroundings. You wasn't so outgoing, you stayed in a certain area, you were a little apprehensive where to go, what to eat, skeptical of your surroundings because you're not at home. You're unsure of yourself and you never get that comfortable until you make it back home. Then you can sort of give yourself a sigh of relief. That's the way every believer should walk on this earth because it's not our home. He goes on to say about Abraham, he's dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise, for he waited for the city which had foundations. It's rock solid, heaven is. It's more sure than the seat you're sitting in now. First Peter tells us, an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, and that does not fade away, is reserved in heaven for you. He says, for he waited for that city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age, because she judged him, God, faithful, who had promised. Every time God is faithful to his word. Therefore, from one man, speaking of Abraham, and him as good as dead, that's good candor there, were born as many as the stars of the sky in the multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. You know, I'm shocked that Sarah would be rejoicing to have a child at 99. I know why If you're going to have children, it's good to have them by the age of 18 to 30, somewhere along there, because just taking care of grandkids after an hour or two, I'm ready to send them back. I don't know the energy to have kids. Just think of 99 years of age and having two knuckleheads like she had, unless God had promised and God had promised them, even when everything looked impossible around them. He says, these all died in faith. The key, not having received the promises. People can still be believing by faith when they die, even if by the time they do not receive the things promised. That's what Abraham, that's what they were doing. It's like seeing it on the horizon, seeing it on a far off, but never actually reaching it. This is a stupendous type of faith. Verse 1, remember, it says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. I'm reminded of Exodus chapter 13, verse 19, when it speaks of Moses. It says, And Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, going to Canaan, for he had placed the children of Israel under solemn oath, saying, God will surely visit you. It hasn't happened yet. I'm about to die. And this is my last words to you. Take my bones out of here when it does happen. And you shall carry up my bones from here with you. That's the epitome of faith right there. He's about to die. He tells them to take my bones with you guys when God does deliver you from this place. He says, but having seen them afar off, on the horizon, were assured of them, embraced them, 
and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things, they, they declare plainly, they're resounding something to everyone else. It's a clarion call that they seek a homeland. Are we living life like we are seeking heaven? That's our home. Understand that Abraham never saw his descendants numbered as the sands on the seashore. Just like Joseph didn't see his bones being transferred to Canaan, but they were. He's seen it from afar off. He never saw that in his lifetime, but it happened. God had promised that would be true, and it came true. God promises will always, you guys, come true. I haven't seen heaven yet. God has given me great and precious promises, but I believe in heaven. I know it will come true. But one day like Abraham, I know that that promise is going to be completely fulfilled, even though I haven't seen it yet, that it's going to be my future portion, I would think. Why? Because I know God is faithful to his promises. Then he says in verse 15, and if, and truly if, and they didn't, and truly if they had called to mind that country from which they had come, remember the city of Ur of the Chaldeans, it was much more an advanced civilization in Ur. They, I'm sure they had their internets, they had their Starbucks, they had all the comforts of home in Ur. But it didn't matter. It didn't deter Abraham because they would have had opportunity to return, the writer says. But now they desire a better that is a heavenly country. Are we desiring that heavenly country? Do we think of heaven often? Hey, I have to admit, when I got saved around 30, I thought about heaven a little one day I'm going there, all those good things. But now that I'm 63, I think about it a lot more. I think God made it like that, planned it like that. But now they desire a better that is in a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. That's a beautiful verse. For he has prepared a city for them that beats all the luxury of the world, heaven. The Old Testament does not hide the weaknesses of the patriarchs, but here the writer is looking back on their history. He singles out their faith, and he knows that the title, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob was specifically chosen by God in his introduction to Moses. So he was in a special sense their God. He delighted, and he does delight to be known as the God of Israel. How much more does God delight to be our God under the new covenant? And it brings us to the final trial in verse 17 of Abraham's faith. It says, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested or when he was tried, I want you to understand it's been 25 years since God made that promise to Sarah and Abram, at least the scripture says God didn't speak, mumble a word to him for 25 years. And then all of a sudden, I'm sure Abraham's thinking of the goodness and the kindness and the mercies of God. He hears something that just blew him away. Abraham, take your son your only son, the son that you love, and take him to this mountain that I will show you. I'm sure Abraham must have thought, is that God speaking to me? I know God, and he's been nothing but kind to me. This doesn't sound like God. When the big C word comes into our life, cancer. This, it doesn't sound like God. 
the way opioids are destroying people on this planet, and it happens to your family or someone you know. God, that doesn't sound like you. Abraham wrestled with God for a whole night, and it says he gets up early in the morning, and he goes. Hebrews continues, and he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, first time in the Bible it says that, of whom it was said, in Isaac, your seed shall be called. He's wrestling with this all night. God has spoken to him, and he finally says, I've got it. This is what God is going to do. He says, concluding that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead. That's faith. That's faith that any of us should have because we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. That had never happened, I want you to know. It's not like he had read about Elijah raising the widow, the widow's son, about Jesus raising Lazarus, the Dorcas' daughter. Nuh-uh. There has not been a case study for this. It takes faith in God's word when God speaks to you to act like Abraham did from which he also received him in figurative sense in a parable. Abraham had faced difficulty after difficulty after difficulty. He had plenty of opportunity to quit and return to his old life, which was in a physical sense, and he didn't do it. He didn't do it. And they were not to do it either, these Hebrew believers, and neither are we. When times are hard. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. Isaac broke the tradition of blessings, which was highly favored in the Hebrew community. And he did it in the face of a long, long tradition. And because God has said, the older shall serve the younger, and he chose God's word over the traditions of men. Can you imagine, I want us to imagine the family pressure that arose after Jacob blessed Esau. Scripture said, even though he sought it with tears. Now, he didn't care anything about the birthright. Esau didn't. All he cared about was the blessing. As soon as someone said, I heard someone say before, Esau was a man that was led with his stomach. He was all kitchen and no chapel. That's Esau's life. All he cared about was food. Remember, Esau comes and he says, does this promise hold? Don't you have another blessing? And here the family pressure is heaped upon Isaac to move from the blessing he had pronounced. And to his credit, Isaac He stood still in the face of tremendous pressure from his family to change the decision that he had made. And that's the very thing that they're facing, these Hebrew believers, tremendous pressure from their own family. And when you have pressure from your own family, that's pressure. To change the decisions they had made, Isaac stood. They needed to stand too. Isaac broke the tradition, to be faithful to God. And if Isaac could do it, you Hebrews can do it also, and we can do it too. Verse 21, by faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshiped leaning on the top of his staff. A similar situation, Jacob is dying. You recount the account. And he calls in Joseph, his favorite son, And, you know, it's not good to be a favorite son. I happen to be the favorite son of my family. But if you ask my two sisters, they think they're the favorite. But I know I am. But it's not good to show that kind of favoritism that Joseph received, especially when you have 11 more brothers. But he loved Joseph more than the rest of them. Joseph brings, you know, Jacob is about to die. At least he thinks he is because he lives at least 30, 40 more years after this. But he brings Ephraim and Manasseh in. 
because Jacob, he wants to bless them. And Joseph brings the boys up to the bed. He has them ready, already in line to get their blessing. Genesis 48, 13, 14 says, and Joseph took them both Ephraim with his right hand toward Israel's left hand and Manasseh with his left hand toward Israel's right hand. That's the younger and brought them near. Then Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on Ephraim's head. He does it back just like this, almost blind. This is the way he does it, knowing it was from God, who was the younger and his left hand on Manasseh's head, guiding his, guiding his hands knowingly for Manasseh was the firstborn. Joseph was displeased at this. No, no, you're pronouncing the greater blessing on the wrong child. Don't do this. You're breaking a tradition. Joseph protested against this. Isaac, Jacob stood firm. Not so, my father. Jacob said, I know what I am doing, and you're not going to move me from this. He stuck with what God had told him, even against the protest of those that he loved most in life. And it's the same thing with us. These guys are facing tremendous pressure. And here's Jacob. He resists the pressure from his family members that he loved most. He resisted the pressure to stay with the traditions of how he's supposed, it's supposed to be done in order to be faithful to what God was calling him to do. If Jacob could do it, these Jewish believers needed to do it. And so do us. No matter how much pressure the world applies to the believer, we should expect it. As the days grow darker, we should expect more pressure. But we need to keep our eyes on Jesus Christ. No matter how much they loved people, that they were coming to these uh, Hebrew believers saying, turn away from this Jesus, turn away from him. They were coming to them, trying to pull them away from Christ. They needed to resist it. No matter how entrenched the religious system was in their lives, if it contradicted the word of God, they needed to abandon that. Verse 22 says, by faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instructions concerning his bones. This is amazing to me that here you've got Joseph's life and all of the great things Joseph did and all of the faith Joseph had being thrown in the pit and God still raising him up to be second to Pharaoh. All of the things the writer of Hebrews could have spoke about about Joseph. He speaks about this, gives this example of Joseph's faith. We're not going to live here forever, you guys. And that's what Joseph tells these Hebrew believers. You're not going to be here always. God is going to move you, and he's going to take you into the promised land. Promise me that you won't even leave my bones here in Egypt. And what he's saying is, I know Egypt. Egypt is a type of the world. We know the world. And we know it is against everything that God stands for. I know the glory of Egypt. I know the so-called glory of the world. And here, Joseph is saying, I don't want anything to do with it. It would be like if someone said, Pastor Jonathan, if you would renounce Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I will give you all the money that Zuckerberg has and give you all the money that Bezos has, what would you do? I think Joseph had more pressure on him than that. Joseph stayed pat. How could Joseph do that? He was looking ahead to his reward. He knew he wasn't going to live on this earth forever. And that's what we have to remember. That's why we can't give in 
to the icing and the glitter and the glam of this world, the shortcuts of this world. We need to keep our eyes on Jesus. And that's what Joseph did. His bones, when they left, they took them with him, just like Joseph said. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child. And they were not afraid of the king's command. Pharaoh had given them the decree. He said, every one of these Hebrew babies, the boys, throw them in the Nile River. He was afraid the Jews were populating quickly in comparison to the Egyptians. And he thought, if these people turn against us, we're going to be in a world of trouble. He gives that decree for every male baby, Hebrew baby, throw them into the river. And here is Moses' parents. They refused to throw him into the Nile. They refused to allow him to be killed. And they hid him. They withstood the decree, risked their lives. They risked their life to save their son and to obey God over the decree of Pharaoh. What does God do? He will not be a debtor to anyone. He shows himself strong. He, he honors them. So he's saying to these Jewish believers now, you've come from a long line of people that have risked their lives in order to stay faithful to God. In the face of all kinds of opposition by sinful man, and what were they going to do? What they did, you can do also, even in the face of death. He says, by faith, Moses, when he became of age, when I first got saved, I had this scripture right here plastered in the bathroom on the mirror. This is one of my favorite scriptures. If we could only live by this. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. I want nothing to do with the world. I'd rather, he says, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy, here it is, young folks. Here it is, older folks. Here it is, oldest folks the people of God then to enjoy the passing pleasure of sin. That's exactly what it is. It's a passing pleasure. You might have fun for a little while, but I think one of the Proverbs says, it will taste like gravel in your mouth sooner or later. Moses' faith, it was manifested with his willingness to suffer affliction with the people of God, rather to enjoy the passing pleasure of sin. What's happening to these Hebrew believers the writer is telling us about? They're being tempted to return to the passing pleasure of sin. Yes, a weight would be lifted off of them if they turned back to Judaism, if they turned back to the sacrifices and the ceremonial laws and all of those things, a heavy burden would be lifted off of them. But they would regret it in the end. But they did not move away from being identified with God's people. So they suffered the affliction that comes with being God's people. Moses was raised as the grandson of Pharaoh, he had all the success and security in every way. He could revel in this life. But Moses remembered there's another life that's more real than where we're at right now. You think this is real. You'll find what's real when you become absent from the body. That's what Moses realized. That's what Abraham understood. That's why all of these Hebrews, heroes of the, of the faith, he puts in front of us because they understood one thing. You're not going to live down here forever. Absent from the body, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, 
you'll be with the Lord. He'd rather be numbered with God's people. He chose to be publicly identified with God's people. And it cost him everything. But he gladly did it, you guys, to be on the right side of things. So here it's going to cost, and it might cost these believers everything, to publicly identify with God's people. He said, I want you to remember Moses. He gave up everything to identify that way. It's always required faith with endurance to please God. Always has, always will. Now, why in the world, you may ask, would Moses make a decision like that? Verse 26 lets us know, esteeming the reproach, valuing, regarding highly the reproach of God. He wore that reproach of God. Esteem the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. Here it is. For he looked to the reward. I wrestled in high school. I was a really little bitty boy in high school. 11th grade, my last year, in, uh, then I started playing basketball. I wrestled, I wrestled in a weight class, 112 pounds. When everybody else was trying to not eat to make their weight, Victor didn't have to. He could eat all he wanted. 112, I was going to barely get on the scale and, and make it with no problem. And I trained and I wrestled. I was okay in wrestling. But I was training because my dad, he would say, I'm going to come see you wrestle one day. I'm going to say he worked two jobs, worked hard. When he got home, he'd work around the house, and then he'd go to sleep. And we'd wrestle about 8, 30, 9 o'clock. So Burkmore High School, I'm from Central High School, so we were wrestling. And I look up in the stands. Uh, 105 was wrestling before me. And I look up in the stand, and I say, is that my dad? And this guy from Burkmore telling you the truth. He won state all the time. I said, Lord, please don't let me just get mopped on the, on the mat with this guy. Don't let him do me like that. And I went out there, and I wrestled him, and I wrestled him to a stalemate. It was six to six. That was probably one of the happiest moments of my high school. And my dad said, time I got home, well, you should have did that, and you should have did that. I said, Daddy, next time you just go out there and wrestle him. And Mama said, you did great. You did great. But I esteemed that. Moses says, I want to live a holy life. I want to live a righteous life. I want to live a sanctified life because I esteem what God thinks of me. Doesn't matter what man thinks. I get who I am, the value I have from what God thinks of me. It wasn't easy, but they did it. He says, so he looked to the reward Verse 27, by faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he, would, would, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch him. So his faith was demonstrated, Moses was, by the keeping of the Passover. You know the account. God comes to him and he says, hey, this is what you want to do because I'm sending an avenging angel. And everyone who doesn't have the blood on the doorpost and the lintel, which resembles a cross, their firstborn is going to be taken away. And all those who believed put the blood on the doorpost and the lintel. And believe me, there was plenty of Hebrew families that did not do it. And they wasn't touched. Because God is faithful. That's what he's trying to let these people know. It's, it sets a, a precedent that all you have to do is obey the Lord by faith. And he will carry you through any difficulties in this world. Might not be fun as you're going through them, but God will be no debtor. He will bless you abundantly in the next life. And that's where we'll 
we will end up at forever. He says in verse 29, by faith, they passed through the Red Sea. That took faith as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians attempting to do so were drowned. So he demonstrates this faith in the incident at the Red Sea. You want to talk about persecution. So here they are. They're leaving Egypt, making their way out to the land. God has delivered them from the land. Pharaoh, all of a sudden, he rethinks what he's done and says, hey, I'm, I'm losing my best labor force. Let's go back and get them. And as they're going on their chariots and their horses, Moses, they laugh at him because they said, man, what kind of leader are you? You've, lead, you've led them into a bind. Where can they go? And it's funny to me because the Old Testament says Moses turns around and, and he's in a frantic and God says, why are you asking me? Use your rod. Open up the sea as if Moses should have known what to do. It's funny. But Moses, by faith, he does that. And we know the account opens up the Red Sea and all the Egyptians and their men of war is destroyed in the Red Sea. God wasn't asking anything of them that he hadn't asked of us and his people. We must have faith, you guys, and endurance. When you get that bad report or something disgruntling happens to one of your kids or something, we should immediately pray and ask God to intervene and help us. And he will because God is faithful. He says, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. Remember, we went through Joshua. The walls were 30 foot high and 15 feet deep. And the men of war were behind them. Joshua's the general. And Joshua really being a very good general when he asked the Lord, you know what the Lord told him. Well, this is what we're going to do, Joshua. And I'm sure a little inkling in Joshua had to say, Lord, you're not that good of a general. Here I am. I'm setting up battle plans. I'm telling them what to do. And you say, walk around Jericho once a day and don't say a word. Oh, Lord, does that not take faith? And he does it. And then that last day, he says, now I want you to walk around seven times. And when you go the last time, sound the trumpets. You see, God is not asking us to understand when he tells us something. He's just wanting us to be obedient to what he says. That's the line. We don't have to understand. We don't have to figure it out. Just be obedient. The great Joshua, who is the general, that's what he did. And when I can guarantee you, when he saw the walls crumbling and falling down, he never questioned God again, and that takes faith. And that's why the writer of Hebrews is letting these Jewish believers know, you don't have to understand how God's going to make a way for you. You don't have to understand how God's going to provide for you. Just understand and know that he will. He's promised me that. I'm married to him. And if you're believers, you're married to him. Paul says, in Christ Jesus, all of his promises are yes and amen. He's going to do it. He's going to provide. He's going to take care of us. He's going to make a way out of no way. I don't have to understand how he's going to do it. And that's what Paul is telling. That's what the writer of Hebrews is telling these guys that are struggling in their faith. And then he says in verse 31, by faith, the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. Rahab, not only is she a harlot, but she has two strikes against her. She's a Gentile. But remember, when the spies come to her, and tell her, we've heard of your God. And just by the spies telling her that, something inside her comes alive, and that's faith. And she believed, and she hid those two spies. 
And then the next morning when they left, remember, she, she hangs that scarlet cord or thread out her window. And she says, don't, everybody in the house, don't do them any harm. That took faith. When all of the rest of the Hebrews were crying, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? I bet Rahab was relaxed and says, I trust Yahweh. I trust God. And we should trust him too. No matter whatever comes down the pike in our lives, no matter how glim and gloom it might look. I hear my Bible says we're more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. He doesn't say that just to say it so we can put it on the refrigerator door. He's been proven faithful. Tell me one time when his faithfulness has dropped. Oops, I missed the ball. Not our God. We should boast. We should magnify our God. He's good. I love it when the writer says, it's the goodness of God that leads you to repentance. Doesn't speak of his wrath, doesn't speak of his judgment. He says, it's his goodness that leads us to repentance. And God is warning, the writer of Hebrews is warning these Jewish believers to hang on. It's it's going to be okay. Verse 32, and what more shall I say? I think the the writer of Hebrews is, he's born by the spirit. And by this time, he's just writing and wanting to say, hallelujah, praise the Lord all the way as he writes this. And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets. And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell about Gideon and Barak, these two Old Testament judges. Remember, it's funny, Deborah comes in the book of Judges and she tells Barak, hey, you better step in here and lead these troops because if you don't, I'm going to, and a woman is going to get the glory. And that's the only reason he jumped in there. He says, oh, if, you're sure, if you're sure you've heard from God, I will do it. They should have had a, he should have had an apron on when he said that. But yet in the New Testament, this dude is in the Hall of Fame of Faith. I've got a chance to be in there then. You've got a chance to be in there then. God is gracious. And God proves himself faithful when Barak goes and leads these armies. They win. That's the kind of God we serve, you guys. And then he speaks of Samson, wasted his entirety, the entirety of his life. But when they had poked his eyes out and had him strapped to two pillars, he asked the little boy, could you take me by these pillars? And he does. And he begins and he prays to God, just give me one more opportunity. But he says to take my vengeance. (laughs) He still hadn't learned. But God says, okay, I'm going to give you the opportunity. And we know the account. He pushes the pillars down. Judges says, speaking of Samson, so the dead that he killed at his death were more than he had killed in his life. We need to be faithful to God, you guys. That same way and have that same esteem for God that Joseph had. And then he speaks of Jephthah. You remember him? He was shunned from his family. And here these Hebrew believers right now, they're being persecuted. Life is just hard. It's too hard. But they needed to remain faithful also to God. Because you never know what God is going to do tomorrow. You never know what kind of change God can make in an instant. And then he also speaks of David and Samuel and the prophets. Samuel was the last judge of the nation of Israel, a faithful servant. They would have rather died than to renege on God. Verse 33 talks about some of their exploits. It says, who through faith subdued kingdoms 
worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions. I think about Daniel. Was he speaking of him there? Quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong. Sounds like the Apostle Paul. Became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the alien. God doesn't quit in the face of overwhelming odds. I forget who said it. Me and God is more than whoever could be against me. And we're not going to quit. Verse 35, women receive their dead race to life again. Now watch this. He swiftly changes gears and you think he, he begins to speak of death, that they died in faith, but they will resurrect in victory. It goes like that sometimes. He says, others, here it is, others were tortured, not accepting deliverance. Did so because they were looking to the greater resurrection and, and rewards in heaven. So they says, no, go and kill me. Do what you have to do. I will even have a more glorious resurrection in heaven that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trials of mocking and scourging, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn into. When the last time you've been stoned? When the last time you've been sawn into? were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins, goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented. They were in this condition because they were obeying God. That's why they're in the Hall of Fame of faith. Of, and then I love it when he says, of whom the world was not worthy. It's as if he suddenly sees the wonders of God, that he's not a debtor to anyone suffering down here. When you suffer down here, and when you, especially when you suffer down here for righteousness sake, oh man, God is just smiling. He's just smiling, not because you're suffering, because once again, it's sin in the world that's turned it all upside down. But if you have to suffer, and you don't retaliate. Jesus says, that's my son. That's my daughter. I'm proud of them. They're looking ahead to their reward handsomely. What he's saying is that the men of the world, in spite of the possessions and statue, are so inferior to the child of God and their faith. You might not ever get rewarded down here for walking with the Lord. But who cares? They're blind as goats in a hailstorm anyway. They can't see. It's what the Father thinks of us that should matter to all of us. He says, they wandered in deserts and mountains, in dens and caves of the earth. It speaks of absolute privation, absolute lack. It's very interesting in the light of this positive thinking movement, in the light of this naming and claiming health and wealth movement, God says the Hall of Fame of Faith has people in there who was destitute and wandered this earth and everything else, poor, everything, for Christ's sake, not the rich and famous and all those people. And they did this because they were honoring God and they looked ahead, looked ahead to their reward. That's what it's about. That's when, once again, we're in a foreign land, we're abroad here on the earth, and we're not comfortable down here. But when we get to heaven, we can finally say, I'm home. I've made it. That's why the writer says, touch this world gently. We may be in it, but let's please not be of it. Don't get comfortable down here. That you just hold on to everything. Touch things gently down here. Don't make it your home down here. We have more 
light. Speaking of us, speaking of the New Testament church, we have more light than any saint in the Old Testament. And yet the saints in the Old Testament, it seems, walked much closer to the Lord. Why is that? When we look back in the New Testament on Christ, we have Christ. We look back on the cross. We look back on the burial and his resurrection. We look back on the teachings and the epistles. We look back on all those things. And we see so clearly, yet, we have a hard time walking. He says, of whom the world was not worthy. Gee, I broke a fingernail. Gee, I'm not going to do date night this week. Oh, Lord, I'm suffering so hard. Huh. Man, I've said it before. Today, Christian, in the West, in the United States of America, we're only playing t-ball. We're not in the major leagues. We might get there if we live long enough, though. Sufferings will come. Hard times will come. And we need to be training our bodies, like the Apostle Paul says, our spiritual bodies, getting in, it, in its shape, discipline ourselves for when the bottom does fall out, because it will. It will. I don't know about you, but I want to be in the Hall of Fame of faith. I didn't get to make it in basketball, but I've still got opportunity to make this faith Hall of Fame. Ask my wife. I've got to get a lot tougher because I'll fall apart quickly. Pray for me. But I've still got opportunity, and you do too. Keep walking. Keep trusting God. We don't have to understand anything. All we have to do is obey when he says it. And then once you first obey when you don't know how it's going to turn out, the next time it comes, you do it a little better. You do it a little easier. And then you just get used to walking by faith and not by sight. That's the goal. This Christianity is a walk of faith. It's not by sight. And he says, and all these, wrapping it up, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. Did you hear me? Did not receive the promise. God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. That's a very interesting word. Perfect, it speaks of the corporate sense. It speaks of those that's in heaven now. Now, I don't get this, but I believe this. It's speaking of those that are in heaven now. They're enjoying it. They're having a great time like Jesus said they would. But they're just not complete yet. They're just not complete yet. And they will not be complete until Paul Allen gets there, until Sean gets there. That's what I'm talking about. Until Emily gets there, until Lydia gets there, until all of us gets there. And then the kingdom of God is complete. It's like, I wish I could tell you how I really feel. I'd give you a great explanation, but I can't. So I always use the Disney World explanation. You go the first time, you, you can't pull me away from the park. You go the second time, oh, it's pretty good, but, you know, I've wrote that before. I've wrote that before. And then all of a sudden, you go, but you're just there. You know, you know the rise. You know this and that. Unless you're, unless you're just really crazy about it like Sean and, and Joan is. Now, every day is like a new day for them when they go there. But it's the, probably a football game, Alabama football game would be like that for me. But that's what the writer is saying. They're having a great time. You think, I, I can't get any more joyous. But they will get more joyous, and they will get more joyous when all of us are there, when the whole body of Christ gets to heaven. Now, don't think I'm telling you this and can't prove it to you. I'm going to prove it to you because I know you guys. Let me, let me read it to you real quick. Let me read verse 40 again. God, having provided something better for us that they should not be made perfect apart from us, apart from us, apart from us. The worship team can come up. I said I wasn't going to read these verses, but I'm going to read them. 
Y'all sit back and listen. Go home, sleep later. Revelation 4, 1 through 11. After these things, I looked and behold, consider this, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me saying, come up here. Rapture of the church. That's what I think it is. I'm pretty sure of it. And I will show you things which must take place after this. Immediately I was in the spirit and behold, a throne set in heaven and one sat on the throne. And he who sat there was like a jasper and a sardis stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance, like an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones. And on the thrones, I saw 24 elders sitting clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. And from the throne proceeding lightning, thunderings, and voices, seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God before the throne. We're doing revelations too. After we finish Hebrews, and we will be doing Daniel in the home groups. Remember that, the plug. Before the throne, there was a sea of glass, more beautiful, like crystal. And in, the, and in the midst of the throne, around the throne, were four living creatures full of eyes, front and back. That's what it takes to try to figure God out, but they, they still can't do it. The first living creature was like a lion. The second living creature like a calf. The third living creature had a face like a man. And the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle, sort of like the four gospels. The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes round and within. And they do not rest day or night, saying, holy, holy, holy. They've been to Disney World ten times, and when they get there, it's like the first time. That's what he's saying. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him. I've got to say this. I say it every time, but I've got to say it. John Corson explains this better than anyone I've ever. Because I'm thinking, why are these living creatures falling down and why are they saying the same thing over and over again are they just automatons are they just uh, programmed to do this no Corson says because every time they get back up and look at him they see a different aspect oh he's I didn't know he was that holy I didn't know he was that glorious I see something that I hadn't seen in 10,000 years that's what we will be doing he's that magnificent that's what he's saying to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they exist and were created. I said all that to read this. I'm going to spare you. I despise this worthless manner. No, I'm not going to spare you. I'm going to read it. Revelations 5, 9 through 12. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seal for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every, here it is, every tribe, and tongue and people and nation. We're all there and have made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. That will not be complete until Lydia is there. That will not be complete until every believer in the world is there. That's why the writer of Hebrews says that. You, you, you're not complete yet, and you won't be complete yet. You won't be at home yet until everybody is there. Run the race. Run the race with faith and endurance. Because why? Because he's worthy. Because he's worthy. The lamb that was slain when I was in my sin, when he could have wiped me away and I'd opened my eyes in hell, is worthy. He had mercy on me. He had mercy on you too. Come on, come admit it. Yeah. That's why we do it. That's why we do what we do. That's why we worship him. That's why we honor him. That's why we should. That's why we should magnify him day and night because he's worthy. We should put nothing in front of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you for your patience. 
Even today, you're still patient with me. Thank you for your gentleness and tenderness that you show towards me. When I would even say, I'm tired of him. But not you, Lord. You're long-suffering because it's not your will that anyone should perish, but all come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. May we never get lackadaisical. May we never fall into a rut of just doing it, putting it on autopilot, serving you because that's the thing to do. Your mercies are new each and every morning. Great is your faithfulness. You are worthy to be praised. May we honor you with our lives. And I ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.